Thank you for listening to this audio recording from the pastoral team at Church of the Redeemer, an Anglican church in Greensboro, North Carolina. If you'd like to know more about Church of the Redeemer, its ministry, or its mission, then visit us online at RedeemerGSO.org. Let us pray. Father, it is so hard to wait on your perfect timing. Help us to follow Anna's faithful example as we await your promise to make all things new. Help us to listen to your voice, and may my words and thoughts be pleasing in your sight. Amen. Oh, for, for those of you who are new or don't know who I am, I'm Ashley Davis. I was ordained as a deacon um, February of 2020, right before the whole world shut down, and it has been my great pleasure to serve you in that capacity in this congregation. So during Advent, we were looking at four women in Scripture who are in a posture of waiting. In Advent, we are waiting for Christmas, the birth of Jesus, and all the joy that comes with that day. But we are also waiting his coming in glory to judge the living and the dead. We await with the martyrs who sit under the throne of God and cry out, how long, O Lord? And so we are in that strange between kingdom of God that has been ushered await its full consummation at his second coming, the already and the not yet. So as a child, I thought all this talk of the second coming of Jesus during Advent was so weird. And for some of you, this might be a new concept. I had um, a teaching leader at Bible Study Fellowship who had never heard this before. And so when she heard from a BSF teacher that Jesus was coming back, she was shocked. What? Jesus is coming back? And she looked around to see if everyone was as shocked as she was. So maybe that's where you are. Um, I want to look at Anna and see how she prepared the coming of Jesus and her actions after meeting him. And I was, as I was contemplating this posture of waiting, I was thinking about things we wait for. A college letter of acceptance, although I don't think they get letters anymore. The doctor's office calling you back after a test waiting for news of a loved one in the hospital for a wedding date. And then I realized that scripture gives us the best way to think about the second coming. It's like waiting for a baby to be born. In John's gospel, Jesus describes the disruption prior to his second coming this way. All these are but the beginnings of birth pains. And Isaiah prophesies about the Messiah in terms of the birth of a child. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given. So Messiah today. Waiting for a can be so frustrating. When and how your baby arrives is almost completely out of your control. Are those labor pains or Braxton Hicks just preparation contractions? Did my water break? Now, I admit, and please don't be mad at me, but I could never make it to my due date. My babies were always a surprise and came two to three weeks early. And they were all under seven pounds and wanted to eat all the time. But as a church, we have had ample opportunity to watch many a belly grow and also feel the real frustration. That baby isn't here yet? 
And now I don't think Sarah Hocutt is here, but she, I just thought, would never have that baby. She just kept getting bigger and bigger. And I thought, surely she'd have that baby this week. And then she'd show up again. I think she was 41 weeks by the time that baby got here. But we rejoiced greatly when James arrived safely and healthy. So scripture gives us the analogy of waiting for a pregnant woman to deliver as a way to think about waiting for Jesus to come again. And of course, it's the perfect analogy because in this world that is stamped with the Jesus stamp of his death and resurrection, pregnancy and birth are the perfect analogies to waiting for the birth of a new heaven and a new earth brought by the coming of Jesus. He is making all things new. And as we wait for a baby to be born, we prepare a place for that baby. We change the way we eat, our bodies and homes change to accommodate the new child. And more than anything, we can't predict when that baby will get here or how quickly or slowly it will happen. Some, like Lena Van Wyck, are in labor 40 hours. She actually corrected me, it was 45 hours, which is almost two full days. Um, and, uh, or you can be like me and have your baby within six hours. Um, but we await the birth of a child with great joy because, Lord willing, the results will be the same. So in this gospel passage, we find the prophet Anna waiting in the temple, preparing for the Messiah to come. But ironically, these metaphors of birth Anna is a widow, alone, and yet she has endured decades of waiting for the birth of her Messiah. It's a different kind of pregnancy. She, like Hannah, as Alan pointed out in his sermon last week, has taken her sorrow to the Lord and goes to the temple to be close to him. So I kind of want to set up where we are in the gospel reading because it's so short. But um, So we're in the second end of the second chapter of Luke, um, Luke begins his gospel differently than everyone else. He starts with Zechariah and Elizabeth and the birth of John the Baptist. And then we go to Mary and the Annunciation, the birth of Jesus. And now we're at the scene where Joseph and Mary have brought baby Jesus to the temple um, because he is the firstborn and they're offering sacrifices because the firstborn child is considered holy to the Lord. So much as Alan described the need for both male and female voices in the church, Luke typically has both male and female perspectives or interactions with Jesus throughout his gospel. And I think Luke is particularly interested in this because as a Greek, he's sort of an outsider. Um, and so he also likes to have Jesus interacting with Jews and Gentiles too. And here in the temple, he has two faithful followers, one male and one female, who are waiting for the coming of the Messiah, Simeon and Anna. Simeon speaks prophecy over Jesus, confirming that he will bring salvation and light, and Anna gives thanks to God and announces Jesus' arrival to all who are waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. So as we await his second coming in glory, we look back to those people who waited and longed for the redemption of Jerusalem. Anna the prophet comes from a long line of female prophets in the Old Testament. And yes, it may surprise you that there were actually female prophets. Um, one of the first mentioned is Miriam, the sister of Moses. But there is also Deborah the judge, 
Huldah, and Isaiah's wife. And with the coming of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost, Mary, the mother of Jesus, as well as other women who were Jesus' disciples and financial supporters of his ministry, were also some of the first Christians to receive the Holy Spirit. So as one of the kids asked this morning, right, so what exactly is a prophet? When we think of a prophet, we usually think of someone who predicts the future. But a prophet receives a special anointing from the Holy Spirit to speak truth. They are foretellers rather than foretellers. They speak and apply God's truth into the lives of those around them. And since the death of Moses, the greatest prophet of the Old Testament, God promised to raise up prophets. Their job was to call the people back to covenant promises, to guard the truth of their faith, to witness God's sovereign rule over history, to act as prosecutors for the Lord, and to intercede for the people when they had sinned. And with the coming of Pentecost and the Holy Spirit, this same spirit to speak God's truth to those around us has been poured out on us, too. Church, we are God's prophets today. We have a prophetic call as Christ's church to share God's truth to those around us, to encourage and exhort those in the body of believers, and to share God's truth, the gospel message of his son who has come to redeem us all from sin and death. I won't talk for too much longer, I promise. <laughs> Church, wait, so let's unpack a little bit more of Anna's history before we move on to her actions in this passage. So Luke very intentionally tells us that she is not only a prophet, but also the daughter of Samuel from the tribe of Asher. Luke was a Gentile convert, physician, and companion of Paul, and he is writing to a mixed Greek, Gentile, and Jewish audience that made up the early church. And for those Jews hearing this story, Anna's name, her father's name, and her tribe would have had special meaning for them. Asher was one of the tribes, the lost tribes of Israel. Did you know that, Asher? Most of the tribe of Asher was taken into exile with the northern kingdom, and many never returned to the promised land. Anna's name, which comes from the name Hannah, means God's grace. And her father's name, Samuel, means the face of God. Both these names point to the Jews in the diaspora, that is, those who were scattered all over, the northern tribes that were scattered all over the Middle East and Eastern Europe. And we've met them, right, in these travels with, with um, Paul in these synagogues all over the Middle East. Um, they were spread out everywhere. And so the old prophets of the Old Testament, particularly Isaiah, speaks of the coming of the Lord and the drawing of all the tribes of Israel back to Jerusalem to their true king. So to include Anna, a daughter of Phanuel from the tribe of Asher, is Luke's way of telling the Jewish audience that Jesus is the Messiah that they have been waiting for, who will call all the children of God back home. Anna's presence reinforces God's redemption of all of Israel, all God's children. And we see this in the psalm that we read today um, in 126. It's full of the imagery of restoration and the Lord bringing his people home and setting things right. Restore our fortunes, O Lord, like streams in the Nejeb. Those who sow in tears will reap with shouts of joy. 
He who goes out weeping, bearing the seed for sowing, shall come home with shouts of joy, bringing his sheaves with him. The Messiah has come for everyone, even someone like Anna, who would have little to no, no social standing. Typically, a widow would be taken care of by her children, so I'm going to assume that Luke, from Luke's text that not only was Anna widowed by the time she was in her early 20s, but she also had no children. So in contrast to Hannah last week, who experienced infertility and then a child, Anna was widowed and childless. Next week, my friend Meg will preach on the elderly woman Elizabeth, who miraculously conceived her son John the Baptist. And then Lena will preach about the very young woman Mary, the mother of Jesus. And though we may not have many people in our congregation Anna's age, who is at least 84, we certainly do have a lively SOS group, seniors over 60, and without whom we could not run the farm or the prayer team or, I think, setting up for church. Um, so it doesn't matter how old you are. You are not off God's payroll. He still has some things for you to do to build up. And I like the way N.T. Wright phrases this. By the time the first two chapters are finished, almost all his readers will have found someone in the story to whom they can identify. Luke wants to draw readers of every age and state of life into his picture. No matter who or where you are, the story of Jesus, from the feeding trough in Bethlehem to the empty tomb and beyond, can become your story. So have you let this phase of life, you're too old, you're too young, you're too tired, you're too busy, you have too many young kids, keep you from serving God and his church. If Anna in her 80s can spend night and day in the temple praying, then I think God has some use for you and for me in building up his kingdom. It doesn't have to be monumental. Even Anna isn't running Bible studies and the children's ministry at the temple. But she is making herself available to God's will through worship, fasting, and prayer. So how do we wait and prepare ourselves for Jesus to come? Both the celebration of the incarnation and his second coming in glory. By following Anna's example, she did not depart from the temple, worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day. First, Anna makes herself fully available to God's will by staying in the temple and close to the Lord. We saw this openness in Hannah, and we will continue to see this open-handed posture in both Elizabeth's response and Mary's response in the next few weeks. Part of the way Anna continues to be receptive to the Lord's will and promptings are through worship with fasting and prayer. In Greek, the same word is used for worship and serve. So the idea of worshiping God and serving God are linked together. When we worship God, we praise him for his acts of kindness and justice. We remember that he is our God and we are his people. We are reminded that God is on the throne and worthy of all worship, and we are not. Worship, especially through serving others, help us, helps us put God in proper perspective and helps us to abandon focusing on ourselves. So along with worship, Anna fasted. And honestly, I, I really don't like to fast. I mean, who does? Who likes to fast? 
Um, as a part of my special spiritual disciplines, I do it. Um, I fast on holy days or if I feel like I need to devote more time and space to the Lord. But how can we prepare for Christmas through fasting, especially when everyone else treats the whole month of December like one big Christmas party? It's hard to remember because of the culture we live in that Advent is like a mini Lent. We have to cultivate a mind and heart that waits for the Lord's timing instead of our own. So I urge you and I urge myself to think of ways that we can intentionally fast as we await the arrival of Jesus. What is something we can give up or reduce our focus on during the season as a way to prepare our hearts for Jesus, to help us long for his coming? And I'm not talking about a full-blown Lenten sort of giving up, but a way to help us prepare our hearts and minds for the coming of Jesus. It could be waiting a little longer to put out Christmas decorations or listening to Christmas music like we do at church. But I think I've probably missed a boat for some of you. How many of you already have your Christmas tree up? Uh, we'll make good Anglicans of you someday. <laughs> and if you've already done that, may I suggest that maybe you don't put baby, baby Jesus in the crush just yet? You just leave him out for now. Although I did find that when we did that, we have the adoration hands. And so it kind of changes the adoration to hand to, oh no, where is baby Jesus? <laughs> Which may be a good posture for the season. Um, it could be having a more simple Christ Christmas by not spending as much money, which I know my husband would be thrilled if I did, or deciding to give gifts to charities, or reducing the time you spend on social media. It could be fasting from foods you love during the week so that when you do have a feast or party to go to, it will remind you more of that big wedding party we will all get to go to when Jesus comes back. Now, prayer we've talked about before, it is not only important in our relationship with the Lord, but God also uses our prayers to minister to others and to our own hearts, too. But I think Anna was fervently praying for the Lord to come back and redeem his people, to wipe away their suffering and oppression, and to bring wholeness, shalom, back to the people of Israel. So how often do you pray for the Lord to come back? I usually do if I have a big paper and I don't really want to um, come back, Jesus. Um, how often do you pray other than in the Lord's Prayer for his kingdom to come on earth as it is in heaven? How often do you pray for the church, the big C church, worldwide church and its mission? Maybe we can take some time this Advent to think about and pray about God's kingdom revealed on earth and how God can use us to usher in his grace and mercy to those around us. Let's be a people who pray, come, Lord Jesus. And then I love how Luke ends this encounter. And coming up that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and to speak to him to all waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. In response to God's revealing that Anna saw the Messiah, the one for whom she had been praying for for almost 80 years. She gave thanks to God. In a year of COVID, of sickness and death, of anger and resentment and constant criticism, don't you know we have so much to be thankful for? And I don't mean just the being thankful for the blessings that you receive, 
but just thankful for who God is and how much he loves us. How can we be a community that gives thanks? One way we do this is through the Eucharist, um, which comes from the Greek word for thanksgiving. We can all come to this table and share a meal with a thankful heart for what the Lord has done for us. And then Anna can't keep this joy to herself. She has to tell everyone she knows who is waiting for the Messiah that he's here. Look at our Old Testament passage with me. Um, it's Malachi 3.1. Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way for me, and the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple. Now, generally, this passage and other similar passages are used in the New Testament to point to John the Baptist as the one who prepared the way for Jesus. But can't we just as easily apply these verses to Anna? She is a precursor to John the Baptist, also preparing the way by telling all those in Jerusalem that the Messiah has arrived. And the second part of the verse, the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple. Can't we also apply this to Anna as she was waiting and watching for him in the temple? Just as God made humankind in his image, both male and female, so he sends women out, as well as men, to proclaim to all who will hear that redemption has come and is coming in fullness. Let's just stop for a minute and take a deep breath. I know this season can be really hard. And this Christmas for some of you is going to be a really difficult season. But in the midst of all this busyness and the hurriedness, I just want to leave you with two questions to think about this week. So the first is, how do you plan to prepare your heart for the coming of Jesus this Advent season? In other words, what does it look like for you to take a more intentional approach in your preparation for the Feast of the Incarnation? And secondly, who do you know who needs to hear this good news of redemption that Anna spread all over Jerusalem? Is it a neighbor, a coworker, a family member, a homeless person you pass on your way to work every day, a friend? Let us be a church that fills the whole city of Greensboro with the good news that Jesus, the Messiah, has come to redeem us all.